Dwight Howard officially signs with the Wizards, and the Redskins do something rare. They pick up a guy in the supplemental draft. He is Adonis Alexander. Welcome back to the DMV Sports Roundtable with Jamal and Dimitri, and one of our favorite guests who's really more of a regular than a guest, Chris Chase of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Follow us on Twitter, at DMV Sports Round 1. So, Dwight Howard happened. We knew it, but now the papers have been signed, and he's coming in, and two questions, right? Uh, Will he behave himself, and also, is there some gas left in that tank to help as a big man well he averaged 17 and 13 last year he had a pretty good bounce back season he has been down before but in in terms of how he will behave who knows i mean now if you look at the cast of characters they have to go along with wall and bill you bring in austin rivers who was i guess difficult would be the word to say uh with the clippers but maybe that had something to do with his dad being in the building daddy is on the other side of the country now he's not in the building so maybe he'll man up and you know act a little different you may have to put a team psychiatrist in a locker room 24 <laughs> 7. the pickup is, is fine by me you know you also bring in jeff green welcome him back home i think that's a movie should have made maybe five six years ago but you bring dwight howard in he gives you everything that gore Tot, and mahimi can't and in terms of, i mean there was nothing left there. Nerlens Noel was on their on their radar. He got swiped up. They didn't make a attempted cousins. And then really, you know, you can't afford uh, restricted guys like Clint Capella who won a hundred mil. We can't afford that. So you take what's what's left, and he was the best of what was left. He's either him or Brooke Lopez. And I'll take Dwight Howard over, over Brooke Lopez any day of the week. You know, Jamal talked about maybe getting a, a team psychiatrist in there. I, I think every Wizards fan who thinks this Dwight Howard's thing is going to work out should see the same psychiatrist. <laughs> um, as much as much a part of July as fireworks and hot dogs and cookouts is an NBA fan base convincing themselves that Dwight Howard is the answer. Mm-hmm. And everything Jamal said about his basketball talents is correct uh, when he wants to play when he's motivated right. when he has something to play for he's been he's been acceptable he's been not the Dwight Howard you know of 10 years ago but he has been a player who can help a team like the Wizards who are you know a piece or two away and and some consistency and some locker room issues the problem is he is the biggest locker room issue he is a cancer uh he is a coach killer um you know it, it's when you bring in Dwight Howard, you, uh, you basically you reap what you sow. And, and the Wizards, if they thought the Gortat and John Wall kind of barking at each other like uh, you know school age children was a bad locker room thing, just wait till Dwight Howard starts pitting uh, coach against player and starts dividing the locker room. It's going to be bad. And Ed, look, I mean, I I know uh, Jamal seems excited about it, and I've talked no, no, to no, no, no. I, I've talked to Wizards fans who who are so excited about it and think it's going to work out because you know what if you squint and if you you know do this and if he does that and if he's oh if he's able to to just tweak down the attitude a bit oh and if he's if he's healthy and his knees feeling better and if John Wall can feed him the ball because he hasn't played with a point guard as good as John Wall there are all these ifs 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 but I think the, the thing that keeps coming back is he is Dwight Howard he's not going to change who he is yeah no I'm not excited I'm okay with the move you know, I don't have any expectations or, or any you know dreams of grandeur that's going to happen with uh, him coming in. It's an upgrade over what we had. And for a move that they had to make, they had to get a big from somewhere. And whatever was left on the board in terms of free agents, he was the best. So that's, that's the way I look at it. It's fine. Um, I also like they picked up uh, Thomas Bryant from waivers uh, from the Lakers. 
he's an interesting young big. Chris, I don't know if you got a chance to see him in summer league yet, but he is he's interesting. He's a prospect that uh, I think John would enjoy playing with him. He gets up and down the floor. He rebounds. He can move, protects the rim. And, uh, you know, he's got to come along with his scoring, but he's a bit of a project, but it's interesting. Yeah, I like that. And that's what they need. I mean, they need to tinker around. And, uh, you know, this this roster they had there was just it fell short and it, it wasn't able to to kind of coalesce the way that Ernie Grunfeld thought that it should. The question is whether they made big enough moves to become a contender in the Eastern Conference, or whether this is a one-horse race now that LeBron's left, is it just the Celtics? I mean, do you think that these moves put the Wizards on a level with the Celtics? Probably not on the level. I don't think anyone's going to say right. they're on the level. But they are, are they close enough to them where they can compete and uh, you know maybe uh, push them in a playoff series? I think they are, because the not just Dwight Howard, but having Rivers. Rivers doesn't knock me out as – I don't like him as a starter. But coming off the bench – along with now you have him and Sadoransky that can both play the one and the two guard position. They're interchangeable. And what we lacked last year was scoring. And if Rivers can do anything, he can score the basketball. Then you have Jeff Green, who's be, he's a, a steady guy off the bench, uh, versatile player, versatile big, and he gives them more leadership as a veteran off the bench to go along with Oubre and Sado and Mahimi. So I, I think if anything – the bench that's been a glaring hole for many years was upgraded with getting Rivers and then signing Jeff Green. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think in that case, if you're going to look at, at the way the way last year went with Gortat and his huge contract that seemed to be you know, impossible to get away from. Yeah, I, I think, again, if you look at it from one way, if you get the sun shining on it just right. the exact right way and, you know, it, it's glistening off uh, off your, your opinion here, I, I think, yeah, then you can make the argument that they have gotten decent enough to hang in the East and the East is going to be bad this year, uh, you know. And everyone talks about the Celtics and, okay, they're getting Hayward back and, and they're getting um, Kyrie Irving back and how they were close to the finals last year. So that just stands to reason that they're going to dominate without LeBron no, in the no, conference. No. Like, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, you know, I think Brad Stevens is a good coach, too. I, I don't think they should be uh, building statues to him next to Red Auerbach yet. Uh, but, you know, it should be an interesting year for in the East. And it's a big year for everyone on the team because if it doesn't work out this year, I think there's going to be some house cleaning coming well there's already nine but nine uh free agents coming up next year and they're still going to be over the cap so ernie has strapped us in cap hell for i don't know how many more years but in terms of the celtics what will be interesting because just inserting Kyrie and and hayward it sounds good but what does that do for the progression and development of tatum and brown the way they stepped up now they have to take a step back when the all-stars come back so how does that change their roles when those two come back? Are they going to be as effective? Because they, they're going to have to step aside a bit when those two are on the floor. Everyone confuses talent with team cohesion and greatness. And I, if there's one thing we've seen in all sports over the past you know, 25 years since when was the free agency really kind of started in the NFL in 1993. If there's one thing we've seen. It's that dream teams are for the Olympics only. Right. And and they don't really work out too many places unless you have an established dream team like you do in Golden State. Mm -hmm. And then Kevin Durant wants to come and Boogie Cousins wants to go. And then, you know, you, you, you can add on to those teams. But I think to build it, to build one from scratch and, and to act like just kind of plugging in holes here and there mm -hmm. is going to make the Celtics great. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a team that 
could easily get off to a you know a rough start. Everyone's going to say, "What's wrong with the Celtics?" Mm-hmm. And then they'll be fine because I mean, this is what M- NBA seasons are. I mean, it takes some time to kind of get your footing, and in the NBA, you have plenty of time to do it because there's 82 games. But I agree in terms of the dream teams. You go back to you know Charles Barkley playing with with. Oakley, well, not Oakley, excuse me, with Olajuwon and Drexler in Houston at the, you know, at the end of his career. You had Carl Malone and Peyton join the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. Neither worked. Sounds great. Sounds like those those two should be, you know, should have multiple championships apiece, but it didn't work. You know, Don't you, forget you Scotty Pitt Scotty, Scotty Pippen, Pippen was on the, right. joined the Rockets yeah. for six months. Right. And so you can't just throw names together. Oklahoma State found that out the hard way last year. You can't just throw three together and expect it to work. It doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. So um, what does that tell us about LeBron then? I know that he is not being paired with two other guys with the Lakers, but they've got to build around him somehow. Well, the thing thing that's interesting uh, to me about this is how not necessarily LeVar Ball, but how do – LeBron and Lonzo play together because Lonzo has to have the ball in his hands. He does not play off the ball very well with that weird three-point shot. I, don't, I haven't seen him play off the ball. LeBron, as we all know, is he can play off the ball, but when it gets to a certain point, he's a very ball-dominant player when he feels he has to make the plays. How do those two coexist on the floor at the same time? The big question for LeBron is whether he's able to take a step back and mm-hmm. let others do do the heavy lifting. I mean, not even the heavy lifting, some lifting. He led the league, you know, at age, was he 33, 30, you know, yeah. whatever he is. And he, with all these years in the league, 15, he started 15 years ago, uh, you know, back in 2003. He led the league in minutes last year. He mm-hmm. played 36.9 minutes. He played almost every minute of the NBA finals. He has been shouldering this load for so long and he has to ask himself, look, am I going to play till I'm 36 and be done because he has so much mileage or is he going to try to play till he's 37, 38, 39 and and maximize his time in the league? And the way he's going to do that, it's not going to be by playing 37 minutes a game for 82 games plus 15 to 20 games in the playoffs. He's going to need to trust other people. And, and that's, I think what's going to be very interesting about how they build this Lakers team and, and who eventually comes uh, to join him in Los Angeles. Uh, You know, Everyone's seen. It seems to be accepted right now that okay, the Lakers are going to be in flux this year, and then they'll wait till next year when uh, when there's more free agents available, and they can have some space, and they can kind of you know uh, shape the team instead of trading away assets for one year of Kawhi Leonard or something uh, like has been talked about. But I mean, I don't know. I still think there's something up their sleeve. I just don't see LeBron at this stage in his career, uh, you know, giving a taking a year off. It just doesn't seem. That doesn't seem to be uh, his style. If he was, he would have been playing 30 minutes a game this year and wouldn't have been on right. the court so much. I, I just I think he's too hyper competitive to to sit there and play for a seven seed as the Lakers probably would now. And that's going to be the interesting part. I mean, I agree with you that Magic Magic is going to have he's got something brewing. He's got something up his sleeve. But I agree. I'm looking at this team and you say somebody else do the lifting. Who? You got a bunch of young guys. I'm not sure how much LeBron is going to trust Ingram and Kuzma and and, and Lonzo. They've got some nice young players, but I really don't see LeBron entrusting them to really defer to them that much. And he's going to end up burning himself out. And what did they do? They brought in Rondo and Lance Stevenson. 
what the hell is that going to do? That's, that's not doing anything for them. So I don't know how this is going to work out because at a certain point in time, if these young guys don't get into it early, LeBron is going to say, forget it. I'm putting everybody on my shoulder. We're going to do it again like we did in Cleveland. And I agree with you. I don't think he has that much in him anymore. And he shouldn't yeah, have I mean, to do that. Right. I mean, you know, if you look at the NBA players and you look at LeBron and, and you say, OK, when does LeBron turn uh, 34 years old? I mean, LeBron's 33, turns 34. I, I think his birthday is like right before New Year's. So he'll be 34 late December. Mm-hmm. And if you look at him, you say, OK, well, Tom Brady's going to be 41 and he's and he's still leading the Patriots and still is the best quarterback in the NFL. And right. OK, well, LeBron can play till 40. But no, his mileage, he has so much more mileage than uh, than anyone else, I think, in sports at the moment. He he came into the league at 18. He started playing immediately. He has played in the Olympics. He has played deep into the playoffs. I mean, yeah. like, you know, let's say you play uh, four rounds of the playoffs every year, which LeBron has. Right. Three rounds. He's been in the NBA Finals for whatever, however many eight, years eight, it is eight, straight. Eight, nine years since, straight. Yeah, since 2010. Okay. So you just, let's say six game. let's say average five and a half game series for him. That means that he's playing an extra 20 games a year. That means every four years he's playing an extra season of basketball. Now, granted, the other greats are also playing deep into the playoffs, so it's not exactly an apples and oranges comparison. But he has basically, I think, played the equivalent something like uh, something like 20 seasons, 21. Yeah. And with those Olympics that he's doing, he hasn't had much time off. And you know, he has his style of game is so is such that. You know, he's not the kind of guy who can just kind of sit back and and, uh, you know, kind of run around the backcourt. He is LeBron. He's the guy. He is a linebacker of basketball. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to go inside. He's supposed to bang around inside. He's supposed to get fouled. And and that's what he's great at. And, you know, is there going to be a late career switch like we saw with Jordan, who became, uh, you know, less of an interior and kind of started to post up and started to get a better jump shot? I mean, I don't know. It's it's a different league now than it was back in MJ's time. And while you know, no one sees LeBron becoming a three-point specialist. So, so what else is there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not comparing the two, but Kobe kind of relates the same way. He played, you know, all those years late into into the finals, winning championships, played on Olympic teams almost year-round. But you saw it catch up to him, and his knees went bad. He, you know, tore Achilles. He, you know, all this other stuff. But Father Time, as we say all the time, is undefeated. So there's, it's going to catch up with you eventually. Now, Kobe did not, doesn't take near the uh, beating that LeBron does. That's just because of his sheer size. But I think the way this game is now, you mentioned Jordan. You know, the style of play is totally different. You can be able to get along a little bit more because there's less physicality. But you, at some point, you just he, he's got to have some help. And to see how, you know, his team last year, they just they just didn't show up. They let him down. They just let him down. And he can't go through too many more years of that. Because if he does, it's going to cut him way short. Two quick questions, quick answers. I want to see what Jamal thinks on this, and, and then I'll give mine. Does what 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 did the Lakers finish this year? Do they make the playoffs? If they do make the playoffs, how far do they go? And does LeBron win a title in LA over the course of the contract, which is, which is what four, four years? years? Yeah. Four years. In the next four years, does he win a title? And how do they do this year? I say no better than the seventh or eighth seed because you know outside of Golden State is clear cut. Houston, you know they're up where they are. I think OKC with Jess Westbrook and George will be better. You have. Uh, 
Butler and and Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins in in Minnesota. So I, seventh to eighth seed, seventh being the best, I see them getting bounced in the first round because they'll have to deal with either Golden State or probably most likely Houston in the first round. And there's no way in hell they're going to beat either one of those teams. And in the next four years, uh, no, I don't see it. I don't see it. The only way that I see it is that they really bring in maybe two more max players or maybe one more max player and Ingram, Lonzo, and Kuzma, their young core of players, they develop and they turn into, you know, stars of their own. But as long as Golden State is constructed the way that they are, no, nobody is. Nobody's going to win in the West if Golden State stays the way they are and they continue to play the way they have. No one's going to win. I say six seed and I say I think they do win because, yes, as you say, that no one's beating Golden State at the moment. But Golden State is... Uh, you can't sustain this if you're Golden State, uh, not with the contracts that are coming up, yeah. not with the chemistry issues that are bound to crop up. I mean, we've seen this. The last time we had a run of dominance like this in any sport, it was the Bill Russell in the 60s, and that was a, a whole different era. Right. Uh, you know, I, I th- I've said the Boogie Cousins signing could be the beginning of the end uh, of, of the Warriors. Not like this year. I don't think they're going to implode this year because Cousins comes in, but the fractures are going to start and and guys are going to start wanting their minutes and guys are going to start you know wanting to get paid once those contracts come up at the end of 2019 and 2020. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be room and look, I don't think LeBron went to LA solely for uh, his movie producing career. Uh, I think he went there to win a title and I think that We've seen everyone who's gone to who's gone to uh, L.A., whether it's Wilt, whether it's Kareem. I mean, Magic was drafted and then Kobe was basically drafted and Shaq, Shaq went. went. Yeah. Uh, all those guys have won titles. I, I think that LeBron is also going to uh, going to get his numbers up there in the Raptors and add another total to the uh, to the yellow and uh, purple. I think even if it's not Golden State and, and the thing with Golden State is Bookie's just on a week. This is a loner. So if it does start a splinter. They don't have to deal with him after this season if, if he does start to fracture. Now, you do have to, you know, pay Draymond and pay Clay, but you've seen Durant take less money. He's not going to take it this time around. But those four players want to really, really, they want to get paid, but they want to keep this going as long as they can. And I couldn't see those two kind of, you know, taking a bit of a sacrifice, a bit of a home team, hometown discount to keep that going. If Boogie's a problem, they don't have to deal with him next year. He's on a one-year deal. I think Houston, if they continue to add, they're the next team up, not quite the Lakers. You guys think the Wizards made a real run at Boogie Cousins? I don't think they made a run at all. Not that I've heard. I don't know, Chris, have you heard that they did anything? Should they then have uh, made much well, much would, more of an effort? I would think so. You know, of course, you know, that's been the mantra for the last, you know, two years maybe, a season and a half. You know, first after KD to D.C., then it was, you know, Boogie to D.C. And everybody, you know, put him and Wall together and they played in Kentucky. It sounds good. I would like to have seen it, but, you know, I'm not sure – just like we talk about Dwight Howard in the locker room, I don't know how well that would have worked either. To answer Dimitri's question, even I don't think it would have mattered. If he was going to take a $5.5 million, basically mid-level exception is what it's called, from Golden State to go play there for one year, then it, became, it was clear that 
he was going to play for his contract in 2019, not for a contract in 2018. Because mm-hmm. as Jamal mentioned, he is hurt. He's not going to come back probably till December, maybe January. So yeah, he is a loner. He, this is a tryout for him. And I, I think it's going to make him look great if he can behave himself and he can stay on the court and he can fit into the system. Then next year, he's going to be getting a max contract somewhere else. So I think if he was set on, on uh, you know, gambling on himself as another cousins uh, from the area uh, (laughs) has said, uh, then I think there wasn't a chance that anybody else was going to get him because he seemed just set set on, you know, playing for his $100 million next year. And that's the safest bet for him. I mean, you like you said, you you get in a position, you can get your max contract, and the cherry on top of that, you get, uh, what, an 85% chance that you'll get a ring on top of it. So you'll go into next offseason, get your money, and then you might have a ring to go with it. I, I think it's a brilliant idea by yeah. Cousins. I, I think I that think it, great. I, I think it, it's pretty much win-win mm-hmm. uh, for him um, because, look, they're going to keep him in line. And when I'm saying that they're going to implode down the road, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be an explosion, but I think just slowly, uh, you know, the the rust will start and, and the egos will start coming in. I, I just think two years, maybe one more year for the, for the Warriors before we start to see a, a tank. And, and we're not going to see it coming, and that's the thing. We're not going – no one's going to be predicting, okay, this is the year that Golden State – because every year they're going to look great. They're going to, oh, well, Durant, Curry, Clay Thompson, they're going to keep winning. And then one year they just won't. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see how that plays out. I think that's going to be the only interesting thing in the NBA, that and LeBron, because uh, you know it, it's so dominant by so, – so dominated by Golden State. I mean, yeah. what else is – there it's almost like you're just kind of you know hurry up uh hurry up golden state you know let's see uh, what happens when you all have to face adversity because other than that there's not much to pay attention to i think we can get a clearer picture because durant has opted out so he still needs to sign or come to a, a deal with golden state so however many years he signs for that'll give us a little bit of a window you know as to how long this thing is going to do- go i don't think he signs anything longer than two years and maybe a third year with an option maybe i don't think he's gonna go past that i don't think he's really gonna pigeonhole himself with golden state for the long haul he's gonna give himself an option like lebron has done in the past two years maybe three third year player option and you know he'll he'll go from there so we'll we'll see a clearer picture once he re-signs and, and gets his new deal. To the Redskins and this guy Adonis Alexander, they need to beef up their secondary. This is the supplemental draft, which uh, a lot of teams don't take part in, right? So no, it was the Giants and the Skins Giants this time. Giants and Skins, was it the last time we did it was Jeremy Jarman, and I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but it didn't work out. Let's just put it like that. It, it didn't work. But this kid, he's had issues. Um, he's passed maybe the last eight drug tests he's had. Um, he wasn't going to be uh, eligible academically next season so that's another reason why he came into this draft this draft for people that don't know supplemental draft is for players that for one reason or another not going to be eligible to play college football next year either academic problems uh off the field issues drug charges you know whatever other red flags you want to throw in there this is the perfect situation for him because he went to virginia tech Dorian, uh, Torian Gray, who was the DB's coach, was his DB's coach, uh, at least for one season at Virginia Tech. We drafted Greg Stroman, who played cornerback with him at Virginia Tech. We drafted Tim Settle, also Virginia Tech. I don't know what D. Hall's role is going to be going forward, but I do envision him being in the building somewhere and somewhere around the team. 
So he's insulated with familiar faces who can keep him straight and, you know, on the, on the straight and narrow path. So, you know, contrast that with, say, he goes to some other team, he doesn't know anyone, suddenly the temptations come back, it's, you know, whatever. It's, um, it's a little easier when you have familiar people around and people that know you. Because I think they don't take him unless Coach Gray signs off on him. He would have had to have banged the table or say, look, you can take this kid. I know him. I can vouch for him. He'll be good when he gets here. We'll keep him straight. If you don't have anybody to go to bat for you like that and your talent doesn't just overwhelm a team, then they're not going to take that chance in supplemental draft because that's giving up a draft pick. Now, we're getting that draft pick back anyway because we're going to have four compensatory picks. So one of those will probably be a six. The Giants gave up a third round pick, and that's kind of a little pricey. Yeah. But it's a valuable pick for the Redskins. He's 6'2", 195, very talented. Need some some coaching up in certain spots, but he can play safety, he can play corner, gives you versatility, and he's a big kid. So you can work with him. And in the sixth round, to me, that's, that's a steal. He was supposed to go in the fourth, maybe. Six, I'll take it. I like the move, and not because I, I've you know been pounding tape on uh, <laughs> on Alexander and, and know that he's good, you know, at dropping back in the cover two and, and coming over the middle or anything. You know, I, I've I've read about him and you know know what's been said. I like it from a broader perspective because the way to get better now in sports. Everyone has the same ideas. Everyone's going off the same data. I mean, there's not really too much. It's just a lot of hive mentality in sports these days. So what do you have to do? You have to look for market inefficiencies. And in baseball, years ago, the whole money ball thing that revolutionized statistics and kind of got statistics into the, uh, you know, beyond batting average home run RBIs, getting these better statistics that better quantify how a player is doing, that was on base percentage. And then it became all these other things in baseball. in basketball, the same thing has happened. There's been ways to evaluate players. The Rockets, we talked about them earlier. They're pioneers in how they do it. And now we're seeing other teams like the Celtics kind of go the money ball route. Uh, and then there's a whole nother inefficiency. And I think the Nationals have done a great job at doing this in, the, in their draft is the inefficiency in baseball is people are terrified Teams are terrified of pitchers who have Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. They're terrified. They don't want to draft them. They fall in the draft. The teams are impatient. This guy's not going to be able to play. If you draft him in 2018, he can't play till 2020. Well, no, we don't want that. We want a guy who can you know, come in, rise through the ranks, and be in the majors three years from now. But the Nationals have done differently. They've taken the guys with the arm trouble, and it's worked for them. Uh, you, know, you can look through their whole history since Mike Rizzo has gotten here, and they have been taking players who have had trouble and who are now either in the majors or moving up in the minors. So that was a whole long-winded way of saying, (laughs) I like what the Redskins are doing with Alexander because I think it's exploiting a market inefficiency, which is guys who are getting in trouble for, like, look, I don't know what what the story of Adonis Alexander is. I don't know what happened to Darius Geis, okay? But if these guys, if they come in and you trust them and you think that these are good guys who got caught up in either the wrong situation uh, or just were 
knuckleheads in college like we all were. I mean, Adonis Alexander failing a marijuana test doesn't exactly terrify me much. So no, did Warren no. Sapp and Randy Moss. Um, so I think that that's a market inefficiency. Getting Geis when the Redskins did, he was a talent who was yeah. you know f- uh, far above on draft boards than where the Redskins took him. This mm-hmm. is running back from from the April draft. And uh, Alexander, same thing. He was uh, Jamal said he was supposed to be a fourth round pick. He fell to the sixth. Teams didn't want to take the risk because he has that label of oh he failed the drug test. It might not work out, but it's something. They're trying something, and if he is even a marginal uh, you know player uh, to provide depth in the secondary, then they made a great pick because it's a six round pick, and you're not getting too many guys out of there anyway. So I think it's it's a good step. Uh, I'm not exactly saying the Redskins are going to be revolutionizing uh, statistical evaluation of players, but uh, you know one can hope. I just think my biggest takeaway from this entire offseason and throwing yesterday's pick in with it, they're stockpiling young talent. And that's something that we haven't seen here in, in many, 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 many years, that we're not just going with the free agents and the quick fixes and trying to get it now. They What they're doing, especially on the defensive end, they have built lots of young talent and depth which also is going to breed, like Shanahan would say all the time, competition at every position, competition, competition. Then you have a lot of Josh Norman and guys like that. They can't rest on their laurels because there are a lot of young guys on this team that are talented that are trying to make this team and try to make their mark in the league, and they're hungry. And I love that. And that, that makes to me, I'm, I'm anxious to see this preseason. I'm anxious to see – uh, how training camp goes because there are a lot of interesting battles with a lot of young talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball that I would love to see. Right now, right now we've got Alabama boys up front and Virginia Tech secondary, and that, I'll take that any day. It sounds great to me. So I'll make a statement, which is that Chris Chion is here, yes. and then I have a question. Who's the maestro of all this at Redskins Park? Is it Doug Williams? I said Doug. I don't, Doug's the one talking. G- Georgie's at the Doug. beach. He can't tell us uh-huh. for sure. But. I'll, I'll give it to Doug. Doug's, Doug's the one in the... Uh, did I just call him Dougie? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> he probably wouldn't okay, mind that. I'm a little too familiar. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I it seems Doug. like it's Doug at the moment. But, um, you know, maybe he learned some cues from Scott McLuhan, who uh, was a successful GM here. Hopefully he learned from him because uh, McLuhan um, built, a, built a nice roster here. And uh, I liked some of the picks in the draft. I like Darius quite, uh, Geis quite a bit. I think he's going to end up actually being better than Leonard Fournette, who had a pretty successful campaign in his rookie season with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's a hard-nosed runner. He reminds me a little bit of Ezekiel Elliott almost in the way that he does run low center of gravity. And I don't worry so much about, or I shouldn't, you know, I'm happy that Chris Thompson's in the mix here. And I think that it'll just add really some nice pieces to an Alex Smith-led offense who is a quick-release guy who I think is smart and has been in the league for a lot of years. So I'm excited for this this offensive side of the ball. I think that they they can really do a lot of things. And I love Alex Smith. Quick question for you yeah i love guys i think guys are going to be great so do you who has a better rookie season guys or uh barkley uh i have to go with uh saquon barkley only because he doesn't really have any competition in new york i mm-hmm. just think that they what is it wayne gallman is the only other one yeah, i mean this yeah. will be an offense totally centered around saquon where the redskins have receiving options they have tight end options not to say the giants don't they have evan ingram but and they have wide receivers obviously but oh, yeah. there are other running backs in this stable here they're not going to be giving up on samaj Piran yet i think fat rob could be a 
cap casualty, perhaps, um, in training camp if he doesn't really show any sort of flashes. But I just think that there will be too many guys here that we can give the football to on first down and second down, whereas the Giants, it's going to Saquon every time. I think Geis has also shown that he can catch the ball better than people thought. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Just because, and, and people think that he can't catch but if you know college football, you know LSU, LSU doesn't, doesn't really know yeah, they, they do don't not do that. throw the ball no. to their running backs no. at all. So that's why you know Leonard Fournette coming out, he can't catch the ball. Yeah. Guys coming out, he can. It's not that he can't. We don't know because they didn't do it. But I think eventually guys could, as the potential, if this O line is healthy, because everything is predicated, this whole offense is predicated on the health of this O line. Yep. You cannot have a repeat of that last year, and I don't think you can. Lightning doesn't strike twice like that. I hope not, because yeah. that was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Wiped up the entire line. Then you guys start looking at the training staff. Are they not getting yeah. these guys prepared? Or the coaching staff, are you overworking them in practice? Are you doing drills that could be detrimental to their body parts that they need on Sunday? I uh, raised that question last year. You know, when does – because everybody else is pointing blame here. That everybody's getting their fair share of blame, which they deserve. But where does the – training where do those guys come at with the trainers and then you know the nutritionists or whatever where does that staff you know get their part of the blame because this is not out of nowhere these guys are dropping like flies yeah that's been a long-running thing with the skins right conditioning yeah they, i mean, chris i don't remember what year it was but we just had a rash of hamstring injuries like the people were just dropping Oh yeah, Santana had yeah. Uh, had one, and I mean, and those hamstring injuries, you like they don't improve. No, they don't. Because you can't rehab them. Mm-hmm. You just have to wait till they're ready, and then once they're ready, you know, they tend to kind of go again. It's just those are. I mean, yeah, I think there was like two years in his prime where Santana Moss just it, he was week to week every every week because yeah. it was oh hamstring, it's going to get better next week, and it just never did. Yeah, I, I often wonder about the training staff. I mean, if you if you remember some of the injuries that we saw last year i mean jonathan allen ionitis went down yes i, I yeah the ionitis was the other injury i was thinking of those were just freak injuries i'm running got, a blank who's the, who was a leading tackler and then got hurt uh amazing yeah, foster yeah yeah yeah, yeah was, mason that, was foster. that a freak injury that wasn't a shoulder it was a shoulder it was in yeah. the rams game it was like but a stinger. i mean he still yeah, made he, like, a, he still made the interception to seal the game uh, that's but right. he just couldn't come back after that yeah game. So, so a lot of them are just these injuries that happen in the NFL, and I think you can blame a, a rash of bad luck. The question is coming back. How are you? And and then you have Jordan Reed who gets concussions, and right. and unfortunately, there's nothing we can do to protect him other than not play him. He has bad uh, toes. So, yeah. So. You know, I think it's the rehab and how are they able to get back on the field? And that's what you have to ask. But it's not like we're it's not like it's the Nationals who say, well, Sean Doolittle's uh, pinky toe or whatever it is, is bad. He'll be back in a day. And then they put him on the DL for 10 days. Right. Uh, I mean, this is what happens in, in with the Nationals. The Redskins. I, yeah, I say we give him another year before we start, uh, you know, doing some deep dives in, into how the uh, training staff does. But, yeah, I mean it's so cliche and it's so it sounds like such an excuse that every losing team says but the injuries are so crucial in football and if the Redskins can't stay healthy then there's not going to be any traction on an improved season if they can stay healthy and they can you know get those bounces we, I mean, we it's so much we talk about we talked about during the playoffs with the, the puck luck and and how teams are able to sort of take advantage of opportunities that are given to them the Redskins haven't been 
opportunistic the past couple of years. They have not jumped on uh, the window. They haven't taken advantage of when another team is playing poorly or when another team comes in hurt. And and those are the differences between a seven and nine season and a ten and six season. So uh, I think this year with the Redskins, if there can be a semblance of health and Smith is as good as Gruden wants him to be, then I don't see a reason why they can't be contending for a playoff spot. Okay. I know when the national predictions yeah. come out, it's going to be Redskins five and eleven. No, they're going to be terrible. There's no. no way they're going to be able to compete. But look, this is the NFC East. Teams come out of nowhere to win the division. Mm-hmm. This is what happens. I think the Giants. Last year, I said the Eagles win the division. This year, I think the Giants will. And I think there's going to be a fight logjam for second, third, and fourth. And I think the Redskins could be in there. I'm not saying they will, but things if things go right and not a whole lot of things if just a few things go right and you can keep your best players on the field then i think they'll they'll be okay for this season then you call the eagles winning the super bowl in like week 17 too chris last year you told your wife that or something like that i remember in a redskins round table so if you're saying it i feel pretty good about it <laughs> yeah i'm right. a, a little suspicious about the giants making such a huge comeback though nah i just they, I don't, you know what if health predicated, I mean, if, if all things equal and this team is healthy, if they were healthy last year, their team would have been a much better. They might have been, you know, fighting for a wild card spot if they were healthy the entire season last year, you know. But this year, health is the biggest thing. I see no reason if healthy this team can't win 11 games. I would say if, if healthy their schedule without seeing it in front of me, what are the like, other division that they're playing uh, this year? It's a tough uh, schedule for yeah, the Redskins. Yeah, it's not a great schedule. I, I mean, there, there is nothing that – there is no breathing room. They play – you know, obviously they have the um, – They open with Arizona. Yeah, yeah. They they play – you know, that's Arizona, Indy, Green Bay to start. If if uh, Andrew Luck's back, that's a tough game. Yeah. They play the NFC South, which is a, mm-hmm. is a division where everyone, except the Bucks, maybe, yeah. are a contender to make the playoffs. And then they play the AFC South, which in years past would have been great news – but, uh, you know, with the Jaguars defense being yeah. great and the Titans maybe taking a step up this year, it could be tough. Um, yeah. And, it you know, it doesn't help that their, their non-division games uh, are against – God, who – I think they play the – because the Packers were bad last year. Right. So the Redskins finished third place, and the reward is getting to play the Packers. With Aaron uh, Rodgers, yeah. 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 With Aaron Rodgers. And then the other one uh, – God, now, Too bad it's uh, not the AFC will, uh, will Andrew Luck uh, be there when they Seems play the Colts? Seems like that will be the case, but only time will tell. I mean, he's throwing, he just but started throwing a he's real not. Football. Yeah, he's not like actively engaged in the offense. And yeah, running. I mean, we're sitting here in July. He right. started throwing a real football in the end of last month or something like that. Yeah. That doesn't sound good to me heading into training camp, you know, in a few weeks yeah. or, or, you know, sometime next month. So I'm not... I don't know because with and with luck, flip side of that is okay. You get him back. Have they done enough on that offensive line to keep him back? It's he better, stays getting hurt. It's better. It's not uh, an upper echelon unit, but it's not as like bad as the Houston Texans now. Which I, I don't. I think if the Redskins are playing the Houston Texans this year, I think that they should be able to. Uh, yeah, as long as they can contain Deshaun Watson. But um, I, I'm not a believer in the Houston. Texans. I don't think Indy can deal with when you have health. Of, of course, we're going the caveat. This is always health. You when you when Allen was in and when when Ioannidis was was healthy last year, they were dominant. Yeah. They dominated what uh, Oakland was three and zero at the time. Dominated them. You add pain to that mix. Now you can rotate and settle. Who's also another big body, but can get pressure up front. Those guys, they're going to wreak some havoc. 
And if Andrew Luck is back there with a so-so group, he's in trouble. And that's what it is. It's so-so. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in trouble. And that's not just us. That's anybody that they play. Because Andrew Luck, he, yeah, he'll get back. He's another. He's a hit or two away from going back out for the rest of the season. He's that fragile. He's Mr. Glass now. He's that damn fragile. So that's a win in week two for the Skins? Maybe. They can start the year. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's what they play yeah. in week two? Yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah, better I be. I mean, he might not skins, be back. I mean, the Skins this year, it, it's a season of, of uh, you know, home and away runs, basically. The, the schedule makers really kind of did them a favor at the start, four or five at home. And then at the end of the season, they have four or five weeks on the road wow. uh, right around the Thanksgiving game, to, it's starting with the Thanksgiving game in Dallas. And two of those are back-to-back NFC East games. And, and you just kind of wonder – can FedEx Field ever become a place where the Redskins play well, where you can go into a week saying, well, it's a home game, mm-hmm. so they'll have the home field advantage and they'll be able to take advantage. We haven't seen that. The only the only way that FedEx Field gets full, uh, filled up is whether Taylor Swift or <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo's in town. I, I mean, it's crazy. Or with other so, teams' fans. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you're going to see it with the Packers. You're going to see it with the Cowboys coming mm-hmm. here. You see it with the Eagles and the Giants as well. So it's, I mean, there's so many games where the, the Redskins fans, luckily there's no Pittsburgh on the schedule oh, this year because they seem to take over the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the Major and I know that well, all oh, too yeah. well when we went to that game. We were like the only Redskins fans sitting around <laughs> in our <laughs> section. The they, mental scars. They travel so well, though. Hats off to those people. They travel every damn well. Well, Chris Chase, if you say the Giants are going to take the division i'm gonna i'm gonna respect that i didn't mean to uh mm. sort of throw shade i was just a little a <laughs> little bit skeptical of that for whatever i would reason. i wouldn't give it to him right off no i, I but, right now it's the eagles division to lose i think that the cowboys might be a four or five win team at uh, the most maybe the cowboys will be the i think the cowboys go in the toilet the sufferers they go in the toilet always appreciate hanging with you boys uh, thank you Chris, did you, when you saw Serena was coming back after having the baby and everything, that uh, she would go as far as she did and is now in the Wimbledon final? Yeah, she was smart about, uh, in the French Open, she had a very highly anticipated match in the fourth round with Maria Sharapova, you know, uh, the other famous tennis player besides uh, out of the Williams family. And... And she didn't play. She had, uh, you know, an injury. She said she wanted to do to rest for Wimbledon, which is the better surface. Obviously, her serve is blunted on uh, on the clay. It's a slower surface. So going to Wimbledon, where she's won eight times, she's able to use her serve to win uh, free points. And she has just been. Even when she hasn't been dominating, she's dominant. Uh, she's lost a couple first sets, but it never seemed like she's been in trouble. Uh, she's able to – to. Uh, I don't think she's as fit as she normally is, which is understandable given that she had a child uh, last year. But it doesn't matter for her. She's so much better than everyone else. Her serve is so much better against Julia Gerges in the uh, in the semifinals. I mean, this is a player who's uh, top 20, who's run through the draw and had been great. And Serena just made her look like a, a college sophomore out there. Mm. Uh, the problem is for Serena, it's been such a carnage in Wimbledon. The top 10 seeds in the women's side were all out before the quarterfinals, which had never happened before. Uh, it, you know, it, there was no one seated higher than uh, 15th. I think in the semis. So the problem is she hasn't faced much great competition so far in her comeback. And in the final, she now gets the, uh, the German Angie Kerber and Kerber's game is specifically to I me. Mean, it wasn't created to, to play against Serena, but it is 
perfect to play against her because what she does is she stays in rallies. She's defensive. She's able to get every ball back. And if Serena's not sharp and she, cause she's not going to be able to win points, uh, you know, after two and three shot rallies, if she's not sharp, then I think she's in danger on Saturday after on Saturday morning. But, uh, if her serve is hitting that, I don't think anyone can beat her and she's going to win Wimbledon. And it's going to be one of the great stories in, in tennis history. I think very much so. Uh, just because she's been making, making so much news off court, positive news, I should yeah. say. Yeah, she's, uh, uh, you know, it, it's been an amazing couple of years for Serena. Uh, I think she's really kind of opened up with the media and she's let people in, uh, which was you know, not a criticism of her. That, that, that was her right. Uh, but back in the aughts and in, in the early teens, uh, she was very closed off and, and you really didn't get a glimpse into what team, you know, made team Serena tick. And now uh, she's, you know, I, I think she seems to be just happier on the court. She seems to be more relaxed. Uh, what we saw from her, you know, a couple of years ago was she was getting very tight in big moments. There's been a few big moments so far in the French and Wimbledon, and she has not gotten tight. Of course, it's easy to say that when you're winning 6-2, 6-2. We'll see what happens on Saturday in the final. I think Serena owes us an, owes us an appearance now. We talked about it <laughs> in depth on two we, two consecutive shows. I, I think she should, you know, when she's here for the castles, yeah. stop by. Chris, would you say that both she and her sister Venus, back in the aughts, when they would lose a match, they wouldn't give the opponent her due? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I think Venus had, Venus has always been, been okay, and I, I think a gracious loser. Serena never has. And... When you have on the men's side, you have Roger Federer, who puts on great appearances of losing well. He'll always kind of give backhanded compliments to the opponents. But him and Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, the three dominant men in the men's game, they're so gracious and they're so kind of warm to each other on the court. So when Serena comes in and she's talking about how she had her D game, which is implying that, no, the opponent didn't win the match. She herself lost it. Uh, it kind of comes off as catty, but it's OK to be that way. Mm-hmm. If you're Federer and you're accepting of loss and you give someone credit, great. But if you're really pissed off about losing and you don't want to give credit, then I think that's what makes you a fiery competitor. And we've seen from Serena in the past with her sometimes, you know, her outbursts at, at line judges and sometimes the way that, you know, she, both she and opponents have thrown shade across the net at each other. Uh you kind of get the sense from Serena that now she kind of is able to see a bigger perspective. And, and this is, you know, she hasn't said this, but I'm sure people will attribute it to now having a family, which again, also very cliche, but it's true. I mean, she's now 36. She's, God, how old am I? She's my age. 36 years old, <laughs> and she'll be turning 37 in September. And here she is at Wimbledon, uh, you know, playing the best tennis of anyone out there. And even though this is a game, even though that the Serena of three years ago would have crushed this Serena because she doesn't have quite the footwork she used to. But uh, I think it's amazing. I, this, the story of the sisters Williams, uh, I think, is the most amazing in sports history. And I say that without hyperbole. Uh, I think the fact that they were able to to uh, be raised by their father in inner city L.A. after he watched a tennis tournament and taught himself to coach and then came onto the scene and were so hyped, as hyped as Tiger, as hyped as LeBron. And they were both as good as advertised. And then the craziest part is back in, you know, when they were 24, 25, no one expected them to play beyond 
on 30. A, because that's what happened. Uh, women didn't play really too far into their 30s, and neither did men. And they had so much, so many outside interests. Serena does fashion. So does Venus. Uh, you know, Serena likes to travel, and she likes to, you know, to do all these things. And everyone thought, well, tennis was going to take a back seat. But what ended up happening was the fact that they had all these other outside interests didn't burn them out from tennis. They were She was able to go design a clothing line and able to go host a show on the Home Shopping Network and then come back and play. And I think what you see from other players is they're so just in the weeds in tennis and they can't get out of it that they burn out by the time they're 30. So it, it's been, I, I think it's been amazing. It's been a blessing to American tennis. And every time we see Serena and Venus out there, I think we should you know, consider ourselves lucky because unfortunately it's not going to go on forever. World Cup, Croatia in for the first time. So there's that. And it's a small country. Yeah, it's a, so what, the, the second smallest. Is, is that what, uh, is that what they've yeah. said? It's like 4 million people. Yeah. 4 million people. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the country of, of Mayan Dimitri's heritage, Greece, actually <laughs> was in the uh, in the playoff round to make the World Cup and lost to Croatia. So I do know a little about Croatia, given my limited soccer knowledge. And it's that their defense is quite good. Uh, but for everyone saying France is going to win, which actually makes me pick Croatia, because what we've seen this World Cup is nothing is as it seems. And same thing at Wimbledon. Uh, you know, every everything's upside down. So I'm going to pick Croatia. And I think that that'd be a, such a huge moment for that country. France, they've won before. I feel like when a smaller country is able to do something like this on a worldwide stage, it just is so much more meaningful for that country. So I'll be pulling for uh, for the Croats on uh, on Sunday. Same here. I just think they've got the momentum for whatever reason. Again, I know we're kind of uh, pulling this stuff out of you know where, mm. but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll that's the with, feel that it's got. I'll go with you guys just because I have no idea what the hell is going on. So <laughs> Will you watch the uh, World Will Cup I, final? Uh, probably not. Oh, okay. <laughs> probably not. To be totally honest. Well, I'm, I'm I, may I, mean, not I, I might, but you know, who knows? Depends on what else is on. It's on during the Wimbledon men's final, which would have been fascinating because had England made it, then Wimbledon, which is you know be- much beloved by the Brits, would right. have been not just second fiddle, but like a hundredth fiddle. Nobody would have watched. So, <laughs> I you know everyone's still going to be watching for, uh, France and and the Croatia play in that World Cup in, in Great Britain. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who won't be able to stomach watching it, knowing that uh, that England could have been in, and that would have been fun for fun for everyone if uh, we could have seen. England, France. I think that would have been huge. Mm-hmm. Well, people might get mad at me, but I probably I would probably watch be watching summer league oh, before really? I watch the World Cup. Right. I know this is not popular, but uh, yeah, if summer league is on, I'll be watching that. You'll be watching that over Wimbledon and over the World Cup. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, no I, ju- no I, judgment I, I, here. Look, look, I know I know it sounds crazy to some people, but I guarantee you that's what my dial will be on either ESPN or NBA TV. I might check in on all the other two. I mean, they go on forever, so. You know, I, a whole, you know, it, it might be a, a whole game and a half of Summer League and the World Cup still be going on. I'm not going to miss a whole lot. Right. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. The DMV Sports Roundtable is on Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, and WTOP's mobile app. Just tap listen with the help of Adonis Alexander. For Redskins fans, large and small, all around the world, God help us.